is Robert Wood with the Keep a Dago podcast. Today I have a really special treat for you guys. Tayati is here. And yes, if you're thinking, is it that Tayati? Is it 92.5, 92.5, star five? Is it the guy that I listened to when I was a kid that my parents listened to? Is it him? Yes, it is. It is the Tayati, 92.5, a legend in the city of San Diego and elsewhere, has interviewed thousands of people. Here he is. But no further ado, Tayati, say hi to San Diego. What's up, Dago? It's good to be here. Oh, man, it, it, it's so great to see you. You know, you're so storied, I don't even know when to start. <laughs> I can remember as a kid when I first started listening to radio, as far back as my memories go, Tayati. And you had all these shows, Midnight Storm, all this different stuff going on. And, man, I just really looked up to that voice before I ever even met you or went someplace and saw you. How does that feel for when you tell people, I'm Tayati, they're like, whoa, how does that feel? Well, you, you know, I don't take it for granted, believe me. Um, being in radio, being on the air, um, involved in radio and television for the last 50 years from 1970 to 2020, uh, I give all the praise, honor, and glory to God. You know, uh, the average lifespan for a DJ uh, is about 7.5 years. So uh, the question is, well, what, what happens to these guys and these gals? Well, first of all, it's all about money and it's all about ratings. If your ratings aren't good and you're a full-time DJ or a full-time radio personality, as I like to say, um, then you end up not being on the air because they can put somebody else in with better ratings and that's how they uh, radio stations and TV stations make their money off the ratings. So uh, fortunately for me, I spent uh, 16 years at XHRM, which is Magic 92.5 today. Spent four years over at Jam and Z90, 90.3. Put, uh, spent two years at San Diego City College, which is Jazz 88.3. Spent two years at KPBS FM 89.5. And 16 years at Smooth Jazz 98.1 KIFM. Did another eight years at my own radio stations, KBlack, KBOKRadio.com, and KKSDJazz.com. So hitting 50 years, getting up there, and um, just blessed now to be interviewed by uh, people who, who, like yourselves, have started their own podcast and their own radio stations. And that gives me more time to do what I'm doing now, which is writing books and uh, uh, doing some historical chronicling of my mother and father, who were the first Blacks in radio back in the 1940s and 50s, and also covering the rest of my family, because there's three generations of my family in the business of broadcasting. My mother and my father was the first generation. I'm the second generation, and I have two daughters that followed me, uh, Summer uh, Nicole Johnson, who now is no longer in radio. She's uh, working as an executive for a large uh, social media company. And then my youngest daughter, uh, which is Mercedes um, Howard, she's on air in Denver. So that's the third generation, uh, three generations spanning 91 years, Rob. Now that is powerful. Three generations of radio spanning 91 years. And, and within that, where do you fall? Well, I'm the second generation. You know, I started in 1970. Um, my professional career started here in 1970, right here in San Diego. Um, actually, I had been, yeah, right here in Dago. Uh, I had been in radio before as an intern. Um, 
my mother and father used to take me to uh, the radio station back when I was five years old. So I got inclinated to broadcasting back then. But uh, as, a, as a small child, you don't normally get regimented into anything until you start getting into your preteens and teens. So it wasn't until uh, 19, the 1960s that um, as I graduated from East St. Louis Senior High School in 1968, I was also working across the water in St. Louis, Missouri, which is right across the bridge for a large department store called uh, Famous Bar. And that's where I met a gentleman by the name of Doug Eason, who was a general manager of a radio station in St. Louis called KATZ AM 1600, CATS. And uh, uh, that internship blossomed into what I like to call uh, the dynasty or radio in my blood because I picked up from my mother and father. And um, coming here in San Diego in 1970 from the United States Coast Guard, fulfilling my military career as a Vietnam era veteran, um, that's when the door opened. Uh, how, unfortunately, there were no, there were very few blacks being hired in San Diego, as you probably are aware, in broadcasting on air, radio, or TV. So, I was fortunate enough to get a job at XHRM, which is a Mexican station. Transmitter is located in Mexico, and um, that's a 50,000 water. So it broadcasts from Tijuana, Mexico, all the way to Orange County, California, and uh, because of that. Uh, back in 1980, Dr. Willie Moore picked up the station and he called me. He had been cutting my hair for years and asked me would I like to be on the station. I said, sure. And uh, he was the first gentleman to actually uh, take over the station and send the radio personalities or DJs directly to Tijuana so that they could be on the air live. And now, let me ask what... you something about that. Sure. Back then, 1980, so you're, you're broadcasting directly from Tijuana, Mexico. Correct. Your family goes all the way back to the 40s. Yes. In radio. Did, did some of that history really, like, did you think about that? Like, wow, my family goes all the way back to the 40s. And now here I am, even though it's right over the border from San Diego, so we take it for granted, in another country mm -hmm. broadcasting. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just really big. That's really powerful. I know you went over there because of 50,000 watt transmitter and everything, but wow, to be over there broadcasting back in 1980 and to have all that family history behind you, that's just amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it, uh, it didn't hit me then, to be honest with you. Uh, to, to be honest with you, I, I was simply um, fighting for a piece of turf called getting into the broadcast industry. That was the first piece. What most people don't know is that I was working full-time for San Diego Gas and Electric during the day from 7 a.m. to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And then I would drive to Mexico to be on the air from 6 to 11 o'clock at night, which is where Music for Lovers originated, which is, you know, I wrote that show, produced it. And- uh, I remember that one. I was actually doing two full-time jobs, uh, five days a week, but that's how bad I wanted to be on radio. That's how, that's how bad um, I wanted to be visible in the community. And I think by continuing, you know, I worked for Dr. Willie Moore for 10 years, from 1980 to through 1989, before leaving um, 
92.5 and switching over to Jam and Z90. And I took the show Music for Lovers with me to Jam and Z90. We changed the name to Night Moods. And then okay, I Night Moods. I, I also remember that one. And I just want to pause you just for a second. Sure. And, and, and I want to let the audience know that when you talk about Dr. Willie Morrow, Yes. You are talking about the Willie Morrow of the California Curl, who is another San Diego icon. Yes, he is. Yes. Mr. Morrow was my mentor. Um, he was, I consider him uh, probably the only African-American that would take money out of his own pocket, um, well over $2 million, and take it to a foreign country and... Um, work out a deal, this is long before NAFTA, North American Free Trade Agreement, work out a deal with the Mexican government and the Mexicans in order that Blacks could have their own radio station and program the historical value of giving Black people a voice in broadcasting. And Dr. Marlon is really one of the, the key persons credited for uh, transforming 92.5 basically into the powerhouse that it is today. And it's been a powerhouse ever since back then. They've called it 92.5, 92 star five. They've called it a few different things, but it, it, it's, it's, it's been great. It's been a great right. part of San Diego for a long time. The difference was when it was 92 star five, you may not know this, 92 star five, we were not going across the border then. We were going to a record store, going into the back of the store and recording our airship on 10-inch reels, and then Mexican couriers would come over and pick up the reels, take them back to Tijuana, Mexico, and play them on the air, so that when you heard me on 92 Star 5, I wasn't live, I was recorded, and it was Dr. Willie Maul that decided to stop the recordings and make us actually live, by allowing us to go into Tijuana, Mexico, with the permission of the government, to go up on the tower to the radio station and broadcast live. And did that change the, 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 the listening? Did that change how many people you guys had involved with listening to 92 Star 5 back then? It changed the dynamics of radio in a number of ways. For example, before I said we used to tape radio onto reels. Mm -hmm. Well, if, if I'll give you a perfect example, say I'm on the air from 6 to 10 o'clock at night, and you hear me say, uh, tomorrow's weather is going to be sunshine and blue skies, blah, blah, blah and we accidentally get the tapes mixed up and it's raining outside, but I'm talking about a sunshine and blue skies. Well, that's the problem that you have with recorded, recorded radio, but live radio is what's happening right now. And so- And you can interact. Correct. So going live changed radio and the dy dynamics of it. And it also gave the public the opportunity to interact with us by getting on the phone lines, calling in requests and doing dedications. That opened up that whole door. And then the fact that Music for Lovers, that was the first ballad show on the air in San Diego that ran nighttime that did nothing but play slow music or ballads and love songs. So a lot of babies were born on that show. <laughs> I was about to say that. That was a great show, an excellent show. Now I noticed that you have like, a, a lot of gold records and a lot of memorabilia behind you. Can you just pick one or two pieces maybe? Sure. And explain uh, them to us, a couple of them if you want. Uh, let's start at the very top. You see one big frame that's got like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 little silver. You see that one? 
Yeah. Huh? Okay. Those are all um, music artists that went platinum back in that particular year. There's Prince, there's the Osley Brothers, there's Atlantic Star, there's George Benson and uh, Earl Clue, there's Sheila E. up there, there's the Force and these. So when I say went platinum, um, anything uh, that is a million, sells a million copies or more goes platinum. That's why it looks silver. Anything that's gold, that, that would be like up to 500,000 copies or, or so, that would be a gold album. So now, now the, well, why did I get them or why, why am I affiliated with those? Well, my ratings at night were number one during that time and I broke, and when I say break, I was able to introduce a lot of these records and continually spend them on my nighttime shows to up the ratings to get more people to buy them. Back then, if you recall, we had, we didn't, we, we didn't sell music the way that we sell it today. Back then we sold them, you could go straight into Licorice Pizza or, or Warehouse Records or Tower Records and buy your records right there with a live salesperson, okay? So those record stores were required to record every song that is bought or purchased and then uh -huh. it's turned over to a company that certifies it. And then when it goes gold, they would notify the radio station and they would notify the person that broke it. And normally the radio station would, would get a copy of one of these and the program director, music director, uh, or the top jock you know, versus, you know, would, would get one of these. So that's what some of these are. Then I have a number of uh, newspaper articles. The San Diego Union Tribune did its first article on me back in 1998 with a picture of me, my oldest daughter and my mother. Um, which goes all the way back to the 1950s. So that's what that, all that wall back there is a memorabilia of radio and concerts that I've been affiliated with over the last 50 years. The side, the side uh, wall, there's another wall over here. Mm -hmm. uh, on that wall, uh, I have a, I have two awards. I have one award for, from uh, 2011 from President Barack Obama and that was for my philanthropy. Uh, you know, I, I've always worked with uh, nonprofits in the business of giving back. I've always believed in giving back to to the people in the in, in the town where I'm working. And I, I've always believed in making sure that you you stay uh, aware of where you came from. And then the wall that you can't see, I have a lifetime achievement award given to me in 2013 from President. Barack Obama for over 100,000 hours of philanthropy in the city of San Diego. That, that, that's huge too. Our Lifetime Achievement Award for over 100,000 hours of philanthropy in the city of San Diego. And since then, you've added a lot more hours to that philanthropy that you've been doing. I remember I was incarcerated and my sister Pamela Wood told me, I have somebody who would like to meet you. And I was shocked when she said it was you. I'm like, Tayati? I said, Tayati who? She said, Tayati. I said, 92.5, music for lovers and all that stuff. That Tayati? Or just a friend you got named Tayati? She said, it's a friend I got named Tayati. And yes, it's that Tayati. And I was ecstatic. And some of the conversations that we had and emailing back and forth while I was incarcerated and just talking about different things that you had done and me talking about my life and what I was doing while I was in there to prepare for 
getting back out here and everything. It was just amazing how actually talking to somebody uh, so iconic could just give you a little extra push of inspiration. Now, I was doing a, a number of things myself, as you know, mm-hmm. but talking to you was a really big deal because I had been looking up to you since a kid. And so I want to thank you for the philanthropy that you did and touched my life while I was incarcerated with just an extra dose of inspiration. And I'll do it right here on air in front of everybody. I appreciate that. I'm honored and humbled. Thank you. I appreciate it. And we've been, now, uh, that whole thing started back with Dr. Willie Moore. Uh, he instilled all of the jocks or all of the radio personalities to, to believe in service before self. And what I mean by that is um, we may be on the air. We may be uh, playing music and touching people's hearts by the thousands, but we put our pants on the same way as everybody else puts their pants on, uh, mm-hmm. one leg at a time. And basically that, that boils down to don't forget where you came from. Don't forget <clears throat> that there's somebody in a worse position than you are. Don't forget to give back to the community. Don't forget to sign autographs. Don't forget to show up to places. Don't forget to do some nonprofit work in your community to help the community survive, thrive, and uh, move forward. So I'm, you know, fortunately today, I'm, I'm still blessed to be alive and above ground and still working off of that same philosophy that was instilled back then. So you were taught right, so you walk right. Amen. Amen. I like that. Now, you mentioned being in the newspaper back in 1998, but what a lot of people don't know about you is that you wrote for different Black newspapers, correct? Yeah, I have a very diverse career. Uh, uh, My career is in broadcasting media, and when I say broadcasting and media, uh, I've written uh, stories for the three Black newspapers, so originally the San Diego Monitor News, which was owned by Dr. Willie Morrow. So I was able to not only be on the air, on the radio for a station that he, that he ran, um, I was um, offered the opportunity to write and take photographs for the San Diego Monitor News. We had another newspaper here by the name of the African-American News Link, which uh, shut down and went to uh, Washington. And then of course, everybody uh, remembers and still knows Dr. John Warren and uh, his former wife, Jerry Warren, who ran the Voice and Viewpoint. And before that, it was uh, Earl Davis who was running the Voice and Viewpoint. Mm-hmm. So I wrote, wrote for all three newspapers at one point in time. And then I've also done some TV work. For two years while on radio during my broadcast career, I was a freelance producer for KUSI TV 51 here in San Diego. And I did a number of uh, public service announcements that highlighted Black History Month in San Diego. Well, now, let me ask you this, right? So being in San Diego and doing all this stuff, what we're about here at Keep It Dago is supporting San Diego's urban entertainment industry, which you are part of and a legend of. How tough do you find it to be to get funding for projects in San Diego? Well, if you're a minority, um, whether you're Black or Brown, it's extremely hard. Um, um, I'm having that conversation right now offline as well as online. Uh, Being a Vietnam era veteran, uh, being a minority, being a person of color, being a person who's spent 50 years in the broadcast industry in the same town, um, one of my goals that I have not arrived at as of yet is the ownership of my own 
broadcast medium. It's extremely hard. Back in the 1960s and 70s, back when we had affirmative action, it was relatively very easy for minorities to pull their weight together and buy broadcast entities. Today, and the new, new era, the new uh, millennium, um, you have less than 10 owners of black stations in America. And the closest one on the California coast here is Stevie Wonder who owns KJLH in Los Angeles, okay? Um, you can almost name them on one hand. The point is affirmative action has, is dead. Uh, capitalism has, has come in and back in the 1990s when President, former President Bill Clinton uh, was uh, president, the FCC deregulated the entire market. It used to be that you couldn't own more than seven broadcast entities so that you couldn't monopolize the market. Now you can own as many as you can, can afford to own and that's what's happened. When you look at BET, which was sold from uh, Mr. Johnson to Viacom, that was a black television uh, cable news net cable network that was sold to Viacom. So, so it's extremely hard today because there's no rules in place. There's no federal rules in place that allow African-Americans the opportunity to purchase these properties. And then the second thing is uh, the people that control these the monopolies and the conglomerates, they have escalated the real estate price on these properties to the point where it's almost impossible for one person to buy something like that. It normally takes a conglomerate or a group of people. And that's where we're losing out as minorities. Um, secondly, we're losing out because we're not educating our own kids, our own, our own students, our own children of color, the power of their voice, the power of taking back their voice, the power of creating broadcast content, media content, writing abilities, journalism, English, those things are dying by the vine in terms of minorities and their participation. Now, I, I know I said a lot there. Let me, let, that's, that's the negative. Let me go to the, the positive side. Thank okay. God, thank God for Facebook. Thank God for Twitter. Thank God for Snapchat. Thank God for Periscope. Thank God for these entities of social media, which our children understand so well today and know how to operate them. We need to, take those things and teach our kids how to put something together creatively through social media that can capture millions of mindsets of other kids to be inspired in taking back their voice and doing something creatively over social media. Now, some of us are doing that, but there's, but there's still room to grow, okay? And they need some capital. We should be teaching this in high schools, okay? Uh, I tried to get a, a radio station in Lincoln High unsuccessfully back in 2018 and 19. So um, we couldn't do it. So what we did was we started uh, Project Ready, Radio Education and Development of Youth right over there off of Euclid and Federal uh, in the U.S. Bank Shopping Center. And we put up a suite there and we had mock-up radio stations, the beginning of radio stations where we had youth coming in from three different high schools, Lincoln High, E3 Civic High, which is downtown, and Sandro Metropolitan High, where minority students got a chance to be on the air every Saturday with message from the youth. So I'm a little long-winded because I get excited when we start talking about opportunities for black folks and brown folks to be in broadcasting. 
Yeah, the one thing about it, it, it's one thing to just be long on win, but you're long on win and long on action. Everything that you're talking about, I personally know that you've strived and fought for. And so it means a lot. Now, we have a lot of people in San Diego's urban entertainment industry right now. We have filmmakers, producers. We have a lot of rappers, a lot of R&B singers, gospel singers. We have diversity of people doing things. What can we do in the San Diego area? Because when I say the San Diego area, I mean all of San Diego County, from San Isidro all the way uh, up through uh, northern San Diego, northern mm -hmm. San Diego County, you know, Escondido, Oceanside, and all that. What can we do cohesively to make San Diego more successful in the greater entertainment industry? Well, San Diego's urban entertainment industry, what can we do to interject ourselves deeper into the greater inter entertainment industry? Well, there are a number of things that we can do. Um, we could start a STEM technology academy, uh, mm -hmm. for example, science, technology, engineering, and math. We could uh, ask for angel investors. Um, not all of our black brothers and sisters and brown brothers and sisters in San Diego County are poor. Okay, mm -hmm. there are a number of successful uh, people that we can call upon, and I have called upon some to ask them to put money into the operation so that we can build it. Uh, number three, uh, the pandemic has hurt us in terms of events. Uh, we've had a number of events that have come through San Diego, one that I'm proudly uh, have been a part of through uh, Mr. Mr. Willie Payne and Mrs. Kathy Payne, the San Diego Smooth Jazz Festivals uh, produced by Pain Pest Management and uh, another brother and sister out of the uh, Los Angeles area, Long Beach area. Um, we can start doing a better job of finding grants that promote uh, entertainment, that promote um, writing and journalism and media for uh, minority audiences. And last but not least, we can start looking at opening up a dialogue uh, now that we have an open dialogue through Black Lives Matter and other organizations in terms of what's happened during the Trump era, in terms of how do we cohesively work together to, to solve uh, the void between capital and expression, Black expression, Brown expression. And I think if we start talking more about it, if we start putting it out more in the open, if we start using social media, then I think we can wake up some people. Um, I, I see no reason why we should stop at this point. We should be moving forward. I definitely agree. Is there anything else you want to say before we go ahead and close this interview off? Well, I want to thank you, first of all, for continuing to move forward. Um, um, I like to see brothers and sisters uh, like yourselves who pick up the banner and run with it and roll with it and creatively come up with ideas and concepts. Uh, keep it Dago. That's, that's a great concept. It's a strong, strong movement. Uh, you focus on think proactive and positive things going on within our community, as well as with younger brothers and sisters. And it's generation X, Y, and Z that we need to be pushing forward. Um, I'm a firm believer in legacy. I'm a firm believer in uh, I am my brother's keeper. And I'm a firm believer in each one teach one. So 
the, it's re, the struggle is real, but I believe if we work collectively together, we can accomplish anything. And, and I, I like that. Now, let me ask you something. Is there any way that people who want to get in touch with you or who want to see some of your stuff can do so? <laughs> well, uh, there is a collaboration going on behind the scenes. Um, as you know, I retired in June of 2020. Uh, my announcement was official when the San Diego Union Tribune put it out uh, in the paper, officially uh, November the 29th. Um, uh, I am working on a collection of books uh, chronicling uh, my own personal family's legacy. And uh, the goal is, to, I hope, to turn those into some movies and to come back and to uh, start doing some adjunct faculty professor teaching type stuff where we can get some younger generations into movie production, uh, journalism writing historically, uh, going back and recapturing some of what you talk about with Keith It Dago, where you go back and you start covering the history. Uh, I don't want to be remembered after I die. I'd much rather want to be remembered while I'm living so that I can keep on living and keep on doing great things. So, uh, you know, at this point, I'd say, as we say in the business, film at 11, because there's more coming. <laughs> so keep grinding, keep it real, and always keep it Dago.